Hey, this is Taylor Elder. Thank you for tuning in to Working and Living While Black, a show that explores life as a Black woman in the workplace. You can catch the show every week right here. All right. Hello again. Um, I am excited to sit down with um, someone who's not in my network, uh, which is really exciting. I've been having great conversations with people that I've you know, have relationships with, um, that I've known um, for a little while, but I'm excited to hear a perspective that I might not um, have the same perspective because I don't really interact with this person. And that's going to be really exciting just to hear um, about their story and how intersectionality might impact their life. Um, But today I have Cheryl Evans on. Uh, She is a branch manager at Columbus Metropolitan Libraries. I say that correctly? Perfect. It's funny, I've lived here in Ohio for my 24 years and there's still companies and I'm like, did I say that correctly? Is that the right term? Um, But welcome, Cheryl. How are you today? I'm pretty good. Good. well, how about you share a little bit about yourself and what um, industry you work in, uh, how you've gotten there in life? Sure. So right now I work in public libraries. That's something that I've been doing for about three years. My background is primarily nonprofits and education. I had an undergrad in communications. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I did some youth programming for nonprofits, and then I went back to get a master's in ed education. Um, and then after that, I went back right into to nonprofits, mainly doing educational types of programs. So I've worked in a shelter for families experiencing homelessness. I've worked with schools. I ran AmeriCorps programs. But the, the big thing has always been youth and education in some way. And the library is just a really great uh, marriage of those things and also very much a community hub, which I always felt really passionate about. So it just made a really good next step for me. That's really cool. And I um, was talking about this little off air, but I definitely have that relationship uh, with the nonprofit world. Uh, What was your pool there? Like, why did you kind of enter the nonprofit sector? I always wanted to feel like what I was doing helped in some way. And I, after college, after undergrad, I had a very brief stint at corporate America and it just didn't vibe for me. I want to believe in the mission in a way that I don't for a lot of corporations. There may be some out there that I would, but I I wanted to contribute back to the community in a really meaningful way. And nonprofits have always provided that direct service. I also really like the direct service element. In my role now, I do a lot, obviously, the administrative stuff as well, but I still get to do the direct service part where I'm out on the floor actually helping customers face-to-face, I always liked that. Nonprofits always provided a bit of that. Mm. For the library, is that private or sorry, is that public and nonprofit or is it more just nonprofit? So, yeah, so we are public and nonprofit. Um, we get money from a variety of different places, uh, but partially from taxes, partially from a public library fund. I am not a numbers person, <laughs> but uh, so we are funded publicly in that way. You know, we have like, the same retirement package that like college professors do, for example. Um, so we, we kind of straddle a weird world of like government, public service and nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of in a way fall between those two things. I feel like there's this conversation in organizations that focus on helping individuals focus on 
um, kind of leading the way within social justice. Do you feel that your industry uh, does a good job at that? Not necessarily the library, but just in general, public and nonprofit. Do you think that we are succeeding in that? Or do you think that there's a lot of challenges that we're facing? In terms of social justice, I think there's a lot of challenges that we are facing. Public libraries, I think, are really seeing a reckoning with that. And I think that I've seen, particularly in public library systems, and not just us, but systems across the country, we are seeing some forward momentum. We've always, as public libraries, have always considered themselves places where everybody had access to the same resources. So providing a place of equity for folks mm-hmm. when it comes to knowledge and resources. And so there's no way, and my, this is just my personal opinion, but there's no way for us not to be involved in social justice. When you look at the power that knowledge provides and what we are trying to do, providing equitable access to everybody, we have been having a lot more conversations about social justice race in particular which I'm really proud about because I think that we are much more willing to get uncomfortable than we were before. Mm-hmm. And, you, and I've seen some really, it really depends. I've seen some really great stuff at other library systems at bigger cities tend to, you tend to see more progressive programming. So libraries, I think are definitely getting more involved. And I, I've been at libraries for a few years now and a little bit out of the nonprofit traditional nonprofit world. But I think that everybody's having more of those conversations now, although I wish that we would have been having them a lot earlier Mm -hmm. because it's not like we didn't know (laughs) a lot earlier. We just weren't talking about it. What, what impact do you think we would have had if those conversations happened earlier? Do you think we would be a lot further along or just maybe a few steps? I would love to think a lot further along, but the realist in me says maybe not. I mean, we're talking about dismantling systems that our entire society is built on. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people with a lot of incentive to not want those things dismantled. So I would like to think that we would be much further ahead, but realistically, I am just not sure. I I recently um, watched a video and I forget the name of it, but it was talking about inequity within housing and it was just, and that's outside of the workplace, but it was just showing you how many systems and how many policies, and it's not just, oh, federal, you know, policies that inhibit individuals, it's local, it's state, it is all of these historical things that have just kind of built upon one another Um, to make these long-term impacts. Uh, Do you think there is one off the top of your head that you think has really impact what inequality looks like in the U.S.? I mean, slavery is like a big one, but um, after that, so like, let's say, okay, we're kind of closer to the modern world. We've made some progress, but I feel like we still make steps back. Do you think of any off the top of your head that has had that impact? I don't know if I can think of a specific policy because there are so many, Mm -hmm. but so many policies have led to things like poverty. And when I think of one thing that over and over again is just exacerbating like inequality and the lack of equity, I think of, of poverty Mm -hmm. and you can't talk about poverty without talking about racism and you can't talk about poverty without talking about the systems that are built on racism. 
and these things that have impacted communities over and over and over again for generations. And ever, I don't know, I feel like so many things come back to that. Yeah, that makes sense. I and see that a lot community to community and in public libraries, you, you see the resources that individual communities have and how different they are and the things that folks have access to and the, and the differences in public schools and the differences in all of those types of things, which is why we try to provide the same resources in every building and every community. But that is not something that you see in all of the other systems in the communities. No, that definitely makes sense. And I think when I think of, they do add up to one another, because if you think about it, the fact that communities were once redlined, which then goes and creates this division um, among individuals. And then within that, the re-jurisdiction of neighborhoods that now gives people less say in their community, which leads to, unfortunately, Black individuals being um, having less uh, equity um, within the community. And then we go to, oh, that within Ohio, um, our education system, I think, and you can correct me if you know a little bit more about this, but um, I heard that it's unconstitutional the way that we go and finance public schools, um, which then leads to education gaps, which then leads to our people getting to college and then ending up in the workplace. So it's like it almost just like you, you're at a disadvantage the whole time. And yet there's still resiliency, which is great. But I think that you start to see it in different aspects. And you mentioned this past year in the workplace, having those conversations more. Do you think that that has given people more a chance to reflect in their personal lives um, in regards to race or any other systems? I think so. Obviously, I can't speak for everybody, but I have been in conversations with folks who have said things like, I never thought about this particular thing before Mm. because it didn't affect them directly. I, um, or things like, you know, I lived through that particular event, but I never saw that other side of it. Mm -hmm. So giving people a space to talk about it and a safe space to talk and think about it. I have heard people say things that are really encouraging and people sharing perspectives and, and having time devoted to that is really important too. It's an Mm -hmm. easy conversation for people to avoid because they can be really difficult if you don't have specific time devoted to it. And if you don't have the organization itself doesn't stand behind it. Yeah. And so I've heard some really encouraging things from folks who are clearly trying to do the work that maybe they'd never even thought about before. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like people are starting to see that they have some tie into these conversations. Like, even if it doesn't affect you immediately, there is some way that it relates to you as an individual, even outside of your own race. Um, I was thinking of, I, so when I was serving with AmeriCorps, I worked for an organization. um, I served with an organization that ran um, to combat homelessness. And so when um, the African-American man who was killed while while running, um, I think it was around spring last year, there was these, there were these conversations about, oh, that impacts us as an organization because we have individuals who are black and they are running with our group and that could be them, you know? And so I think for a lot of people, it raised this question of why didn't I see that before? 
Um, do you feel that intersectionality um, impacts you in your workplace? I think it impacts everything we do for a lot of different reasons. And it comes up a lot, especially working with the public. Mm-hmm. Where different identities come up frequently because you're working with folks with different identities as well. Um, you might have teens in your building that share some of those identities, adults in your building that share some of those things. Also, as part of the public library, when I am not a person that purchases the books, for example, a different department mm-hmm. does that. But that's also one of the things that we look at is mm-hmm. making sure that different people and different identities are shown in the books that we purchase. That is really important and sometimes difficult because there's a lot of things that publishers don't publish or aren't as quick to publish because money, blah, 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 whatever. But um, <laughs> so, so these things come up a lot. And as a biracial queer person, they come up in a lot of different ways. You know, um, there's a work event. Do I bring my partner? You know, do people know that about me? Mm. When we started having a lot of these discussions about race, the fact that I was biracial came up a lot. Some people may know that. Some people may not have known that. Deciding when to and if I want to disclose those things. Um, and I am pretty open about all of those things because I think that it's important for that representation, both for staff and for customers to know as well. Like you can be a biracial queer person and run a building. You can, you can be a successful adult who intersects in these different ways. And so I think that that visibility is important because we don't always see that. Mm-hmm. We don't see ourselves represented in people in the community or in people in our workplace. And so that's one of the things that I, that I take very seriously. You know, I am very open about these things because I want people to know that, you know, I exist and I'm here. And if you exist and you're here, like that's good too, you know? Yeah, that's really important. I, and I do think that there is this need for representation within your community. Um, If you, if someone is leading a group and there's not, and there's nothing wrong with someone who isn't, you know, have a diverse background, that's fine. But at the same time, it does mean something else when you're on their team and you see that your leader is someone else who is black or someone else who's queer. Like those do change the way that you, I think, see the community and see the group that you're working with. Um, Do you feel that there is any, like, not necessarily backlash or, but like, people questioning that you said you mentioned being um mixed being light-skinned like are those conversations that you feel that people will try to have with you or is it something that you have to kind of have with them first it's a little bit of both um a lot of my experience of that falls more outside of work but the classic thing that so many mixed or biracial folks get is the what are you oh goodness question <laughs> super offensive yeah and I get that question a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Like I said, that's primarily a question that I get outside of work. Um, at work or in work environments, I will often have, I will have people make assumptions or try to figure out a way to ask me. And this was not in my current job. At a job I had previously, folks were trying to ask me what holiday I celebrated. It was oh, no. <laughs> and I, this was closer to 9-11, and I was like, you're trying to figure out if I'm Middle Eastern. Like, that's what this, oh, wow. that's what this conference, you're trying to, yeah. that's what we are talking about. So 
there are a lot of times where people will try to find a way to ask me. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of times where I just volunteer that information. Like, oh, well, blah, blah, blah. As a white person, you wouldn't. I'm like, we know. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I understand why you may make that assumption about me, but that's not true. So I, I will have to correct people pretty frequently, but people do, people do ask me about it or try to, they try to find a way to get me to volunteer that information. I, I feel like there, I do have conversations where there, there are these underlining meetings or like they have like a microaggression and I'm just like, all right, like, I'm not going to go and say that you're being racist right now, but it's starting to go down that path. And it, it makes for me, at least, it makes me uncomfortable because now I'm like, does this person see me in a different way than two minutes ago when I thought we were kind of on the same level? Um, I don't know. Does that make you uncomfortable having those conversations sometimes? It does because a lot of times I wonder, why is it that you need to know this? Mm-hmm. You know, and I do, being as light as I am, I have had situations in my past and my childhood where I thought I was cool with someone and then they found out I was biracial and then I found out they were racist. Oh, wow. Um, so I've had that. I used to have a lot of people would like tell me racist jokes thinking I would laugh along. That was a, a big thing that used to happen a lot. And so I, there is that, the anxiety kicks in immediately of why are you asking me this? Mm-hmm. And what is going to happen when you get the answer? Like I can feel my heart start to pound when they start leading down those so... Easter, like that. (laughs) I know where this is going. Yeah. What point do I call out where this is going? Yeah, just like no, no. Let me stop you right there. Uh, We're not about to go down this path, but right now, um, I I do feel like there is this weird thing, and I I don't want it to sound off, but I feel like there's this expectation that there's like this whiteness of U.S. Like if I'm American, I know I'm black and I know that there's certain like heritage parts of that. But at the same time, I feel like people have this expectation that, oh, I'm either fall into, oh, I'm just completely American or there's something super separate about me. Um, I know when I was in high school, this girl was doing a project and she texted me and we didn't really talk or anything. And she's like, oh, so do you celebrate Kwanzaa? I've also been asked that question. So in my mind, I understood it to mean that she looked through the amount of people in her phone who were Black and has now reached out to most of the Black people in her phone to ask if they celebrate Kwanzaa. One, I don't even know. I understand the significance of Kwanzaa, but I've never celebrated it. I don't really know too much about the holiday. But why are you assuming or asking me if I celebrate Kwanzaa because I'm Black? It's so I had a, Sorry, God. Somebody asked me once um, when they found out my dad was black if he wore a dashiki. Oh my gosh! And I, I was, I said, "What?" I, I that one actually kind of that took me back a bit. But I was really quite surprised by that particular question. I just feel like there's definitely these questions, these thought patterns, and you're just like, no. But I I also get really frustrated. And this was an issue that I had with um, a friend. And I felt like they expected me to educate them on Black, I don't know, culture, Black situations in the world. Like, and I... 
I don't know why people feel that way, even in the workplace. But like, why do you feel that I'm supposed to represent every black person? Um, my, my, I'm probably relate in some way to certain individuals, but at the same time, it's a very different situation from person to person. Uh, do, have you ever felt like you had to educate people or that people expected you to educate them? Yeah, I think that expectation is definitely there. And, you know, me and some of my friends will joke around of like, you know, Google is free. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't have a problem with having a conversation with somebody, but I do have a problem with that expectation that I am going to do the emotional labor of educating you, but you are not willing to say, pick up one of the many books. Yeah written on this subject. And I think that as we move into having more of these conversations in the workplace, we have to be really cognizant of that, that we are not asking people of color to be doing the work for the organization, mm-hmm. leading every talk, leading every panel, being the people that weigh in on everything. And every, you know, if you are a person of color, you know that experience of this comes up, these topics come up, and then everyone looks at you and mm-hmm. expects you to weigh in for the Black community or whatever, you know, whatever different thing you're dealing with. And so I think that we have to be really aware that we are not expecting folks who are oppressed to do the work for their oppressor of explaining how oppression works. There's a lot of great resources. There's a lot of great books. There's a lot of great podcasts. People can educate themselves. Yeah. Instead of looking to us to be the people that do that work for them. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that sometimes I'll hear people ask a question and then it's, they question my reality. And it's, that's not fair if you're going to ask me a question about my experiences and then say, oh, but I don't see that. I don't disagree. There's a difference between having those conversations as friends and kind of just being, having a heart to heart and be like, you know, I really don't understand that. That's from one side. But if you're going to ask me to represent, you know, a group of black people and I tell you how I feel about it, don't question my experience. Right. If it makes you uncomfortable, that's on you. Mm-hmm. Like you can sort through that. But yeah, and there's a difference between I don't understand and that can't be true. Yeah. Just because you don't see something and you haven't witnessed it, you think you haven't witnessed it, you have witnessed it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't mean that it's not happening. And not believing people, not listening to people's voices is, is such a big thing. And you think, I think about this, or I've been talking about this a lot with all of the things with police brutality, is none of this is new. Yeah. None of this is new, but we didn't listen as a society. We didn't listen to Black people. We needed the video evidence. But this isn't new. And this shouldn't be the first time that people are like, oh, I've never heard of this. And we have to ask ourselves as a society, why not? Because people have been screaming from the rooftops about police brutality since we've had police. Mm-hmm. And yet it took the technology of being able to record it on video for people to believe black people. Yeah. And still, a lot of folks still don't, even with, even with that evidence. But that question is why? If people have been saying this, why why as a society was this not considered valid? And I, I feel like that I hear about this and not only just police brutality, but in so many different things where black people are saying, this is my reality and people are questioning it. People are saying like, for the example, for police brutality, I've heard 
oh, well, white individuals are killed by police more often than black individuals. And you're okay with that? Like, that's, that's concerning that as a society that we're just saying, oh, well, black people aren't killed as much. But I think people forget that it's racially motivated. There are aspects that you don't see because it's not a part of your intersection. Um, do you do you see that in the workplace as well, where either black women, um, queer individuals like share about their experience and people don't listen? Yeah, I've definitely seen that throughout different different workplaces. It's not it's questioned or questioned whether or not it's an exaggeration or not seen as a cultural thing. It'll be like, oh, that's just a bad interaction that you had with one person Mm. as opposed to this is part of the culture. Yeah. is something that as a culture is considered okay in this organization. So you'll see that, you'll see that a lot, just that questioning of whether or not, whether or not it's that big of a deal. I think that's what you get the most of. Mm -hmm. Was it really that big of a deal? Are you being too sensitive? Are you being too reactionary? Are you being too angry? Yeah. That questioning the impact of it or assuming you hear a lot of in different places, well, maybe they didn't mean it like that. And it's like a gaslighting thing, you know, like, well, they didn't mean it like that. You are overreacting. You are projecting that onto that situation. It's no, no, you know, no, we're not. These are the experiences. This is what was said it's giving the benefit of the doubt in a very strong way and only to one side. Yeah. I, I think I was guilty of that um, before I would hear something that someone said and it would be like, Oh, well, what's the whole situation? Oh, are you sure this happened? And I'm just like, I, there was a point where I had to look back and say, that's not fair to the person who experienced that, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. Um, and I should listen to their story and believe their experience. Um, I do believe in getting, you know, both sides, but at the same time, you shouldn't question someone's experience and the fact that it impacted them. I think that that's like another thing. If someone said something that they, that was, you know, racist, that something was sexist, whatever it was, I should believe that you were impacted by those words and be more understanding and empathetic of those. Um, yeah, I just feel like, I feel that we don't get as much training, especially in the workplace, um, about those type of how to react when someone experiences things. Um, I think HR has done a better job of having those conversations, but sometimes I don't think we really meet the need, um, do you ever feel like you have to mask yourself to accommodate others at work? I would say that earlier in my career, I felt more that way. There is a degree now where I, I'm trying to think of a nice way to say this, where I don't care. <laughs> I guess I, this is who I am in a professional, of course I have to behave professionally. I don't get to just act the way I do normally, but this is who I am, and I want to be a part of an organization that not only accepts that but sees the value in that. Mm-hmm. But certainly, when I was younger, I felt much more of a need to, you know, for example, I used to have long hair and I used to straighten it. And there's not that there's anything wrong with that, 
but also I was doing it for a very specific purpose. And that was to, to fit in, to fit a certain professional beauty standard because that very much exists, right? Mm-hmm. There's standards and there's also like what hairstyles we consider professional, et cetera, et cetera. So I used to do a lot of things to appear. I don't think I was thinking it this way at the time, but looking back on it to appear whiter and straighter because that is the dominant culture and that is what's considered professional. Mm. And I don't feel that way anymore, but there is a risk. You, you do have to realize that you are taking a risk. There's an actual professional risk. And, but I, it's a risk that I am willing to take. Whereas when I was younger, I didn't think that I was. And it's unfortunate that you have to decide, am I willing to take this risk or not? It's not a question that we should have to deal with, but it's a question that so many of us have to. And also I I do feel like there are some professions where there, that is a lot harder. Um, I have a sibling who is in finance and those rules of appearance are much stricter, I think, than they are in my job. Mm. So I've also, I think, picked careers that have afforded me to be more myself, Mm -hmm. where it was less of a professional risk to be myself. And there are jobs that I would not enter in because I don't think, I feel like I would have to mask in those jobs. And so I don't, have those jobs. Yeah. I think that it's so important that the part where you're talking about taking that risk. Um, and I feel within the culture today, I see a lot more black women deciding to take that risk. Um, you know, I think 20, 30 years ago, definitely wearing straight hair, maybe having to wear a protective hairstyle under your wig or something like that. Those are things that people had to choose. Um, And then also destroying your hair. Like I wore my hair straight all my life. Um, It wasn't until I think I was in college and one of my coworkers, I was working at a restaurant, but like one of my coworkers, I wore my hair curly one day and they're like, you know, like it looks really good. Like I don't understand like why you don't wear it more straight. And so I wear my hair curly at work, but I do feel like there is this not where I work now, but I feel like there is this concern though of if I always wear my hair curly, am I going to be penalized? Um, They might not look at me as being the most professional because my hair gets frizzy in the middle of the day or something like that. Um, I promise my hair, I keep my hair together because my, I'd say my um, hobby is collecting hair care products. (laughs) There's just a lot of things going on in there. Um, But yeah, I do feel like people do have to make this decision if they are going to risk going against the status quo. Um, Do you see, do you think that people are making that decision more now than they did before? I think they are, you know, I, I really do think that people are, and I think that there's a lot of factors for that. There've been some, there's been some movement, not nearly enough, but some movement in society where in, in certain professions, maybe there's a little bit less of a risk. Mm-hmm. So you might not be promoted, but you might not be fired. You know, it certainly was riskier before than it is now. It's still very risky, but it was riskier than it was before. And as more people do it, mm-hmm. it becomes something that I think whenever you see somebody doing something like that, it shows you that it's a possibility mm-hmm. that it's okay to be yourself Um, And the more people that do it, the less of a risk it becomes. It becomes more normalized. It becomes something that people see. It also becomes a lot harder to punish everybody 
than to punish one or two people. So I think I see more, I see more of that than I did maybe just even when I started out. Mm-hmm. But I also think it, I really do think it varies in career circles. I can only speak to the more progressive, more liberal type of careers that I have worked in. I don't know what it's like if I was working on, say, Wall Street. Yeah. It would feel that way. Um, so I think that some of that is just the world that I work in and the circles that I move in. I'm seeing more of that. I'm not sure about, about everybody else, honestly. I, I feel like I see the risk now more in speaking up against social issues in the workplace. Um, I think there are more people are feeling empowered to do so. And they feel that there is, there are policies that are coming out that are protecting individuals. However, we're still in those early stages where it's not across the board. You know, you might be in a more progressive state where there are protections for individuals, but in more, I think Midwestern even, we struggle with that. We struggle with this idea that we want to be progressive in a way, but at the same time, we're kind of traditional. And this is kind of a tension I think we've had for a while, but then also rural, you know, you have more of a traditional um, way of doing things. So I don't know. I, I just see that standing against or standing for social justice is more of the risk today. I think so too. And I think that, you know, there's policies that can help protect people from big things, mm-hmm. but there's also the very real, real role that reputation plays in your career. And if you are labeled in your organization as difficult, that is a real like professional issue. And you might not get put on task force and committees and you might not get considered for promotions. Um, and that's, I think, one of the, the things that I don't know how we address that specifically, but that is a big part of your career is how your reputation in your organization and in your industry is. And there is a real risk for people being labeled as difficult or angry or oversensitive or all of these other things if they speak out on behalf of social justice and especially if their organization doesn't stand behind them. Yeah. It's a real risk. It's it is it's still very much it's still very much a risk in that kind of insidious under the surface kind of a way. I I think my biggest concern even for this podcast is, you know, I'm still really young in my career, but my name's going to be associated with this. I already have like a few episodes out now and I'm just afraid, you know, if a future employer goes and looks it up and thinks, oh, this person is just going to be a difficult black woman in the workplace. There are people who still have, con- who still have power um, in hiring, power in um, promoting. You know, I think that those individuals still have some type of impact in people's lives, even though there are policies. You know, they can just say, oh, she's not qualified because of these specific reasons. But the underlining reason is because oh, you just speak out a little bit too much. Um, I think that that's just the reality that, and I don't want to speak on behalf of all Black women, but I do feel like that is a reality that individuals face on a regular basis. Closing question, uh, what changes do you hope to see in the workplace? Oh, man. Um, I feel like there are so many that I would like to see everywhere. Um, I want to continue continue to see these conversations and I want the conversations to be more in depth. I think in a lot of workplaces, and this makes sense, you're starting at the beginning 
and you're starting with things like what is systematic racism? Mm -hmm. And like, that is very important, but I would also like to see more nuanced and in-depth conversations as folks move along in their, in their journey. One of the things that I, I think about a lot as, as a manager is hiring and all of the different things that revolve around hiring and, you know, we, the public library systems, there's very few black librarians and there's, there's probably a million reasons for that, that I can't even begin to unfold um, things like biases in education and things like inequities growing up. I mean, it's mm-hmm. a, it requires a master's degree, maybe treatment and libraries in the past, feeling welcome, never seeing someone that looks like you in that job, right? There's all of these layers, but how is somebody who interviews people and is part of that world, how do I expand these opportunities to other folks? How do I help kids and adults see that this is a job that you can do if you are interested in? Yeah. And how do we watch out for those discriminatory practices in hiring that are kind of the status quo that we don't even think about and may really be impacting our applicants? Mm. That that just in my world is something that I think about a lot um, because you see that, how do we, you know, how do we look at the higher ups? How do we have more diverse folks, the higher up you get in an organization? That's something you see in a lot of organizations where you might have a lot of different folks on one level, but past maybe middle management, everybody looks the same. Yep. What, what are the factors at play? What do we do about that? How do we change our culture? How do we change our hiring practices? How do we change staff development? How do we change the way we talk about these things? I don't have answers for any of this stuff. <laughs> but those are the types of things that I, that I think about. And not just for, for the organization that I'm at, but for everyone that we look at. Um, what do we do when the world has looked a certain way for so long? Mm. How do we begin to unpack and change it because this only works for a very small group of people. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And I I feel like I've heard similar things from other people who have um, been on this, you know, working and living while Black. And so I feel like that is exciting, unfortunate first to hear, but exciting to see that it seems like this is an idea that a lot of people are sharing of like, we need to work together to unpack these systematic things unpack internal issues even within the company that have adopted these policies as norms like you were saying um so i'm excited to see you know what things look like in the next 10 years in the next 20 years um and being able to reflect on that and what we can do individually which Mm -hmm. is something that i think about all the time what can i do today in my life in my job Like, what are the changes that I can make? How can I help spur change in the organization that I'm in, in the world that I am in? Um, Sometimes I think for me, these things feel like such big issues that it feels like, well, what could I possibly do? And the reality is that all of us can do something. So like, what is that for me? You know, what is it that I can do where I am today that will be that will be beneficial, that might spur some change. Yes, I can't change the system overnight or maybe at all as an individual, but there are things I can do and what are they? And that's one of the things that I think about a lot in terms of my personal life, but also in terms of my job. Thank you so much for posing that 
closing question to the listeners and even for myself and maybe even going after this, really just reflecting on what can I do? Um, and that being the first step to seeing long-term change. Uh, thank you so much, Cheryl, for being on today. I really appreciate um, you taking the time and I really uh, like just hearing your experiences and I hope that we do see those changes over time. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been great. And thank you also for listening um, to today's episode. Uh, Again, I'll be back next week uh, as we talk more about working and living as a Black woman in corporate America, not corporate America, in the workplace. (laughs) Well, I'll see you next week. Bye.